You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today, I am welcoming back to the show John Hastings, who, after a truly horrible year, came out swinging with yet another blockbuster fringe show, um, working through the passing of his dear friend, the much-loved comedy director Paul Byrne, friend of mine as well, very much missed, um, not to mention a divorce and a genuinely wince-inducing bike crash. We're going to talk about John's move from the UK circuit to Los Angeles, and we're going to discuss the finer details of what it means to participate in several different global markets. Um, We're also going to find out about some of the bad behaviour he's experienced as an act at the hands of certain promoters. Not all promoters, but we're going to get a kind of a slightly more granular uh, version of what it means to deal with the ins and outs of the comedy circuit globally um, than we usually get. We're also going to go on to talk about the cost of doing business, the downside of reps, and uh, his very impressive social media video output and strategy. John's new Edinburgh Fringe show is on sale now. Um, it's called The Times They Are a John Hastings, and um, you should definitely check out his website, thejohnhastings.com, for his unbelievable approach to promotional uh, photo shoots, if nothing else. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at the John Hastings. Uh, my show is on sale as well, but I'll tell you about that shortly. Um, let's get stuck into the return of John Hastings. Hello, John. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. I feel like I've been shut away in my in my basement for ages, not seeing anyone. And I've just listened to your show. I just finished it just now. Oh, well, thank you. Because the copy you sent me, I just, I said, I believe I said to you, send me shitty preview, uh, preview audio quality. And you did. I believe that, Sir, that, was, that device was, was in your pocket that <laughs> during was in, the recording. How dare you? That was on a uneven table the first night of the Edinburgh <laughs> Festival. So somehow it was, worse. I tried, I tried to listen to it whilst running because that's a good kind of zone mm. listen thing. And I couldn't because the sound quality was dreadful. So I've been listening to it in 10 minute snippets wherever I could fit it in. I've just completed it. And so I'm in, having the enjoyably weird sense sensation of just having been at that show and now you're here to speak to yes. and because it's a it's a show about grieving really it's a show about it's a show about grieving all sorts of things it's a show about bad things and you being in the middle maybe of the process and so i want to begin by going hey john it's great to see you and i want to bring some energy and oh, re- joy thank you I into really what i assume it. is a terrible life <laughs> yeah so yeah you see that show and you go it is weird because i always think of that hour 
I don't know if you as a performer and, and those listening, ladies and gentlemen, please strap on your pretentious pants because we're going to start craft of stand up comedy between two <laughs> middle aged men like we're a hummus plate away from being insufferable. So um, it's very interesting. I always thought that hour. I think that hour kind of everyone fills up how they're feeling about because I think it's incredibly hopeful because I oh, of course I but, don't but, mean it's not no, a no, depressing no, no. But, hour. But here's why <laughs> is because I lived it and I was like I survived. Like I remember moments where I wanted to give up. Sure. So I always find it when where people are like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm fine. I was able to write that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like to, to get from yeah, living to writing but it. There's some there's big stuff in there, and oh. it's it's clear from the timeline. I think my assumption from of of the timeline from what I heard through the fabric and the table and all the rest of it is that it some of this stuff happened very recently. It did, yeah. So it's, you can say, "Hey, I'm totally fine," but we're talking about the death of one of yeah, your dearest friends. Let's, let's not dance right. Yeah. So what ha- I was very my Edinburgh show director and one of my very closest friend, friends passed away in February of 2022. Uh, And I was in the midst of already writing the show you listened to. The show we're talking Mm -hmm. about is uh, is hilariously called Do You Have Any Ointment by John Hastings, because it's a it's a fresh new take on uh, how to name a show. Well, listen, I'm (laughs) sorry. I am the son of a marketing professor, so I think it feeds into that. But at a certain point, the amount of times you've sat through a show that had nothing to do with that title. What are we why are we pretending? Just put your name up. (laughs) And go for it. Like what? Like, and I, by the way, I 100% stole it from Joe Lysett, who just has like, how do you like it? How do you like it, Joe Lysett or whatever? And I went, yeah, we're I'm doing sure. that version of that. And But the problem you is, is that you write an emotional that show. that elegant pun. I know. <laughs> yeah, North American stew. I don't understand what these puns are. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was a really fucking weird. It was a weird thing to be back in Edinburgh doing a show about a guy that so defined my Edinburgh experience. That was the 100% to me really bizarre point. And to the point of when I approached you in Edinburgh, when, oh, I'd like to do your show again, was mm. because I really entered that whole process quietly scared shitless because from 20, the end of the sort of September of 2014 until February of 2022, I knew how I approached writing comedy and that involved Paul Byrne. It involved, I'd sort of work, I'd woodshed some stuff. I'd get him on the phone. Here's what I'm thinking about an hour. Here's my bits. We'd go back and forth. We'd get into fun arguments, all of that sort of stuff. And then one day that was gone and it was a weird sort of come to Jesus moment for me as a comedian because it was sort of that thing of, like, how do you like, what do you do? How do you reinvent that wheel? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, when mm-hmm. it comes to your process, like your process, are you set in stone or do you sort of change it every year? Do you find yourself thinking it's different every year? And then your wife or partner or someone in your life goes, you do this every year. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah is that rhetorical? Or are you asking me? I'm asking you. Um, I would say that I uh, have been through lots of versions of it and refined the way that I work. And this now having had such a big gap. And for me, the big gap has been like the last finished show that I presented in Edinburgh was in 2018 because I then did a work in progress in 2019. Then there was no progress. And then I went back in 2021 with bolting together two previous shows Mm. to make a special. And this year I did a work in progress of a whole new thing. So the last time I properly did the start to finish thing was 2018 and now i'm working on last year's work in progress for 2023 which is going to be a whole run of a thing but the subject matter is very different for me so i am approaching it differently 
Interesting. Yeah, because I always sort of had this not ironclad, but it was the way I enjoyed working. Yeah. And then it was just and like there was so much more to it. And I feel like I'm being flippant, but it was just we're talking about craft. And that was the aspect of it that really hit where it was like having to enter into talking. It was really bizarre because it was talking about a guy that I wanted to run by talking about death. Yes, but he was sure. dead. It's an incredibly weird meta kind of collapsing Escher kind of It was uh, collapsing. Process. And then to also the point that even got even crazier was the thing I was working on was, and I'm agnostic. I assume you are too, because we're in the arts in Europe. The story was so, co- uh, essentially last minute I had to perform my best friend's eulogy. They didn't, they forgot to tell the person that they had originally selected to do it. So literally my Edinburgh director left this earth, leaving me with an excellent story for the Edinburgh festival. And so <laughs> it just became this whole thing of February forward of re refiguring out how to write an hour of stand up, And it was a really, I, in the end, a really rewarding journey, but it was the most terrifying thing I've ever gone through in 16 years of stand-up comedy because it was not something that I never thought I'd ever have to do, which was re in a weird way, retrain on the job. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to just insert a moment here because something occurs to me that I should let you know, which doesn't change at all what we're talking about. But um, I know Paul also worked with Sarah Keyworth and she was on the show quite recently and talking about her experience of working with Paul. Oh, interesting. I just wanted to flag that to you because uh, I just feel that's a thing you should know. Uh, that, that subject is by no means finished or finished. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd flag that up. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I think it's also that sort of thing of the, those of us that worked with them, especially towards the end, I think were inextricably linked, especially we just did it in Edinburgh where we were, there was... You could essentially walk the markers of the cross of that guy's death. Or you could see Sarah's show. You could see Larry and my show, which was literally two sides of the same story. So, no, I, I really yes. appreciate you letting me yeah. know. But it's just a thing. He made a huge impact on our industry. Yeah. And so some people – he's going to be a figure hanging over top of it. And everyone's experience coming out of that grief is going to be different. Like you've, yes. I'm sure, mourned people. In, and it was such a lesson in everyone's experience is different. You can't let – someone who seems like they're doing really well with it, the fact that you can't, you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. You just have to one foot in front of the other and keep going and keep going. And, um, but I do appreciate you saying that because I, I always am interested to see sort of for a process that you would think would be pretty like set in stone, realizing how that guy worked with say me, Larry and Sarah were so completely different. Like, yeah, I really like, Larry is such a joke guy. I'm a big, long concept. Paul, we're going to do a 75-minute story, and the story's a sentence. And then you can just see his eyes rolling in the back of his head and going, okay, <laughs> theater school. No, we're not doing any of that. That's going to be a sentence long. And then with Sarah, I think it was something else completely different again. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. if you ever worked with a director, Stu, sorry, I feel like we're – I'm. Oh, you're allowed to. That's okay. fine. I think on a returns, you're allowed to run it more. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is John Hastings returning to the podcast. Oh, I didn't, real, I didn't realize. Questions. I didn't realize there was a certain stipulations for each return. So if I do like five appearances, do I get to host? Oh, do you five? You you get to kill me. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very good. You get to you get to kill me in the most narrative, satisfying way possible, and then you press play on the pre-record goodbye, cruel world message that I've set up in advance. Oh, that's a brilliant. That'd be such a beautiful Andy Kaufman-esque way to end this podcast. How did he go? Yeah. <laughs> Stabbed to death by Phil K. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yes, that's a that's a good point. I am fond of asking people who it would be most narrative. It's like a throwaway quick fire question. Who would it be most narratively satisfying if they killed you? Um, but I'm, Stu, I'm replete with with options. Stu, you're 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 a you're a stand-up comedian. We all know the answer. The most thematically perfect one would be yourself. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, I suppose. Yes. But I suppose that my question presupposes that someone has sort of done it without your knowledge and kind of set it up. I think we can. I'll have you. Think... <laughs> I'll have you know, my theory presupposes that exact thing that you set it up without you knowing. <laughs> so to to get back into to this and, and in the way you were working specifically, you would we were talking about the the fact that you have a rhythm so your your process involving paul byrne working on your shows how many times had you done that with him how many times had you been 2015 like through like it was literally like i just assumed that's and this is a show every single year show every single year why what are we doing taking day you don't take days off at the festival you don't take those festivals off and that what it was was i i left the uk in 2018 i just didn't tell anyone because i didn't want it to affect my ability to get work because i saw a lot of people made a big splash of i'm off to wherever and then i and i remember Mm -hmm. like being in clubs and hearing bookers go we won't book him he's not around i never know when he's around i don't want to keep track of it so i just didn't Uh, tell anyone which and it only got discovered in covid when i would do zoom shows in the uk and they're like why is it sunny where you are in London? And I went, uh, <laughs> sorry, Sean James. As it turns out, I've been lying. Um, and I uh, told all that. So that put a lot more of a focus on Edinburgh because I sort of scheduled my year where I would do a certain amount of time in the Australian festivals, a certain amount of time in the UK and Edinburgh. And that was my time visiting and working in those markets. And the sort of plan mm-hmm. was, especially when I moved to the States, is grow them as sort of a a beachhead to stay within that sort of side of stand-up comedy while working mm-hmm. on my career in the U.S. So having someone to run ideas off when you're reestablishing yourself in a new city like I was in Los Angeles and American in general, you're not doing as many gigs, not doing as many quality gigs. You're doing a lot of really shitty open mics. Yes. Yes. In restaurants, I seem to remember. Oh, I feel like I've done lots of little gigs in restaurants that were like five Stu, minutes long. I didn't long. realize you were so good enough to get the restaurant gigs. I was, <laughs> I was inside most. I was on a tennis court. And I got to tell you, by the way, I it saved my life moving to Los Angeles. I would have given up stand-up comedy. The British comedy circuit, that, for whatever it is in my workaholic-y anxiety brain, that, like, that sort of grind of you need to always be killing – to keep your spot because someone else is coming, but you also need to be working on a new hour for Edinburgh. And you sort of never felt like you were, I never felt comfortable in that sort of wheel. Do you know what I mean? Like it always felt like Mm -hmm. you were always a little bit showcasing for your next weekend. And it just really started to get to me and going back to North America and having to be on tennis courts. And as you say, five minutes in a weird restaurant, Mm. Kind of in a weird way, sort of, because it made me have to like, like, have to like stand up again. There was no financial aspect to it. Like you, you like this or you're. Oh yeah, like why are you doing this? Why are you going out the door? Because you're not doing it to pay your rent. It's yeah, you know, like you're. Yeah. And it was it single handedly was the best thing I've ever done in Mike. That that absolutely saved my me being I think a creative stand-up comedian not necessarily a good one but one that yes. feels i feel proud of the stuff i'm putting on stage everyone else can hate it but i like it. do you know what i'm saying 
Yes, drill into that a little bit for me. What is it about those environments? There's no financial pressure. There's no pressure. Presumably there's a certain amount of pressure to please the booker, to get rebooked. Yeah, or is that? I think there is. I also would say that if this is going to sound really strange, um, British people are sort of surface level meaner in those situations. Do you know what I'm okay. saying? Like there, there, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of little kings of little kingdoms on the British comedy circuit. Oh yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And so you just never, you sort of always feel like you kind of like need to nail it, even though it's like we're in a damp. With this comedy club's falling apart, it's not going to be here in three weeks. It's okay, like. And while in L.A. you're outside and like the booker is just like a confused guy. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> you just feels like this feels like a little bit less pressure. And OK, but I do I do see what you mean. Like it's like don't I and I, I kind of am, as I'm saying this, I'm like, yeah, I actually should have felt pressure to impress those bookers. But I did not <laughs> And I don't know why. I don't know where that confidence came from. Well, presumably. Well, and, and let's tell me, because part of this, I think part of the um, uh, the thrust of this episode will be a guide to or it, it might end end up being a guide to going to LA oh. and what sort of things you should do and shouldn't do. I think that was what you said when you, you yeah, like first I, talked to it, me about this one. It's like, these are some of the things I've learned. So let's try and kind of be as completely. comprehensive about this journey as we can. So, um, yeah, go for it. So I would say, um, I think the biggest thing I've learned, and this is a blanket sort of statement is, and this is only just gleaming from what I just said, is I think also putting a little bit less premium on the thoughts of, people booking the show and just actually this is going to sound fucking day one but as i'm just sort of reflecting back i'm going i think the biggest takeaway and lesson is just i don't want to say this but i'm going to say it if you really like if you it stand-ups a lot easier and going through the showcase process and stuff like that is if you actually like stand-up and i will i'll unpack that sentence i think a lot of times people are doing stand-up as a job and they're lying to themselves that it is their career, it's their craft, it's their passion. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that can be incredibly negative to the actual performer because there's a lot of stand-up that it is the actual activity of doing it is the reward, it's the fun rush of the audience, all that sort of stuff. Because there's a lot of stuff to do with stand-up that's fucking brutal and horrible and hard and a lot of mean people are saying mean stuff to you and it's late at night and you're never home and all that sort of stuff. So if you lose the enjoyment of, holy fuck, my bit about asparagus that I've been trying to get to work for a decade finally killed it in Durham, that's a reward. If you don't have that, you, I, I, I'm literally just reflecting, and and it's you, you're missing out on an enjoyment, and it's not, it's not as fun. You don't have the, the juice of performing. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're just sort of trotting yes. out the same sort of twenty, which, like, I will totally admit, I was definitely doing for years in clubs because I felt that pressure to, kill, 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 and mm-hmm. how much more enjoyable it is working in the UK coming from LA where I've kind of gone, well, this worked in a fucking gas station bathroom. It's probably going to work at the Glee in Birmingham and not having that fear, I think is the best is my only sort of general advice specifically for moving to a new market. I've done it three times. I would say a couple of things are really important. Uh, Go with some cash to relieve that pressure, have a little bit of savings. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be, we're all in different financial situations, but I would say that that's my biggest piece of advice. I think the second one is you're going to get some really shitty emails from promoters no matter where you move. And you just have mm-hmm. to ignore that because they're getting 500 Wait, emails a day. 
Go ahead. Oh, I see. Like replies, replies. Yeah. You're going to get some shitty replies from people because you're 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 going in there with a kind of a professional mix of humility and pride because you need to somehow let them know that you're not one of the insane open mics, but they haven't heard of you, but you do know what you're doing. Completely. all of that kind of business, yeah. So you need to approach in a, a gentle and professional, firm manner. And still, what you're saying is you still need to recognize that you'll get some terrible replies. Oh, and it's – I have to tell you, that is something that no one talks about in our job. That, like, you – like, I am sure – I have gotten some emails from – and this is uh, some American, but let me tell you who does a fine line in shitty email responses to can I play your club. The British, yeah. some of them just – like – why would you say that? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, like what What kind of thing? What kind of thing? Without naming names, what kind of like sort of attacks on your material or right, your personality or you'll it. never play here? One was just the word no. Yep. Uh, one wow. was... I can't imagine sending one, a one word no, no to someone. I'm not okay. going to tell you the name now, but I will tell okay. you the name. I will tell you all of these names. As su- this is the perk of being a comedian, by the way, listeners, is when yep. this is not being recorded, I will tell Stu all of these names. Um, tell me as we go along, tell me the names and I swear on my life I'll clip them out and then I'll know who they are about which. This isn't live, so perfect. go for it. Perfect, okay. We'll, so we'll you're going to hear even more frustrating for the listener <laughs> is they're now going to hear beeps. Oh, if I was listening, do, do you live. understand if I was listening to this and we're both getting text messages from comedians, <laughs> like a WhatsApp is going to be alive. Okay. Um, and I will stipulate, by the way, uh, the person who said no sort of was doing it as a joke, but in the way he okay. did it, I still wanted to fucking throw a brick in his mouth, which was <laughs> it was is who did that. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, know him and love him. Yeah, and listen, I actually do love him now too. But in that moment, I was just like, <laughs> I will fucking I'll bury you. What am I? I'm not a fighter at all, but it's in my mind. You know, in my mind, I could sure. do something. Yeah, but you know what you look like and how you appear, and you can decide to change gear to be that knucklehead, even if you're not. Oh God, I wish. Which I, I think makes you that guy. I wish I had that gear though. That's the other <laughs> problem. Is I you you see people live in the world where I have this other gear where like I suddenly am like a brute, and it's it's just like I'd be like, well, I'll say some quotes from Brecht to you uh not both me and a friend of mine we both had to go home for our grandmother's funerals and he sent emails uh because i had to cancel the gig and he went you're not going to work here again because you know this shows unprofessionalism sure um booked me and then i got a gig paying three times as much and then he accused me of disloyalty and conspiring with to bring down his empire oh my god that like that that was an, that email chain i don't know how you are on with anxiety and stuff like that but that got me where yeah. i literally thought am i doing that like <laughs> <laughs> this is this i mean we have very different um i think we have similar levels of anxiety but different approaches like i i, I mean fair play to you for getting into the that process yourself i've always from dot i've always kind of gone i'm just going to get management to do that because i can't bear even if those those tiny i mean i was in a situation once where i had a like a, you know a, an acting agent and a manager or like a, you know what i mean yeah, like two yeah. different two different organizations and the the stress of just getting one from one of them saying urgent or clash or something like this would just eat me alive it's also so this is also the, and then this was i was like that's so great you bring that the other thing is in the UK, try and move a gig, try and cancel a gig, try and just make an error as we all done of, oh shit, 
that's not in Manchester. That's in London. I thought Mm -hmm. I could double this. I can't. That's the other thing is that doesn't exist in America that is actually freaked me out is you can cancel a gig. They don't care. There are other comedians and they're aware there are other comedians. Don't worry about it. Like I and I'm sure you've spent hours trying to bite through a leather belt because you're like, fuck, I double booked the fucking store with the fucking yeah. like, like and like something where you're like, I can almost make it. It's Chiswick Headliners. And the yeah. store. <laughs> All I need is the ability of flight, and I could do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's yeah. just um, the the big sides of moving to out of the British comedy circuit is you do not have to deal with those types of personalities. Everyone okay. is very very professional on email. Everyone doesn't mind if you cancel. That said, if you're going to a big market like New York and LA, they're not responding to your emails. They are literally all get like they they are choosing between. Like more than even in the UK, especially in LA, it's like they could have me, Stu, or Chris Rock. Yeah, sure. Okay. And you just have presumably, presumably there are strata of gigs though, whereby like Chris Rock isn't dropping into every room every time. Yes, he is. Bill Burr is dropping into every room every time. <laughs> and it's because LA is so much smaller and we're in a post-COVID world. There has been this mm-hmm. very nice, and I think it's it's a little it's very different in the UK, but there's been this sort of burn off of a bunch of gigs. So there's just less gigs. They're better, but there's less of them. And everyone yeah. wants to do stand-up. So yeah, no, you like you are competing with those people. And again, I think find the positive in it. You're now able to know where because they will be like, sorry. Bill Burr's there, and now you know where Bill Burr's going to go watch Bill Burr do stand-up. Like, by the way, you're going to see a lot. And that was the other big thing that I've actually taken away is I never used to watch stand-up. You are – you strike me as Billy Comedy Guide. Like, I feel like you go to 80 shows, a festival. I I have to say, I don't think you're the first person to call me Billy Comedy Guide. No, I actually know (laughs) – I know who I'm quoting. (laughs) Who is it? Is it Donnelly? It's Jimmy McGee. That is a Jimmy McGee. It's Jimmy McGee. Jimmy McGee special. Yes, it's technically, yeah, I, I it's have technically in the past Billy Fringe Guide, and it is a blanket term for anyone I think he sees going to more than one show at the Edinburgh Festival. Oh my God, it wasn't even original, that little bitch. Yeah, son of <laughs> a bitch. It wasn't even specifically about me. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> Billy Fringe Guide is exactly the phrase. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I found that relief of ple- pressure really, really nice. Because don't you find that the circuit in Britain, it's incredibly rewarding. It's so rich, but it is fucking, it's dog eat dog. And you're just going around and around and ar- like around. Am I crazy that this, pre- is this pressure in my head or is it sort of there? Well, I don't know. I think a good answer to John Hastings saying, is this pressure in my head is probably yes. Yes, and. yes it is. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. there is that. Also, I'm in a position where I have really only done the circuit in one country. I've done festivals and I've done odd little jumps oh, in here and there. Yeah. But I, I've only done, well, this is, this is one of those things we're talking and you've said the word markets twice, which cannot go unrecognized. But um, we're talking about different markets and we're specifically as well. We're talking about different circuits and how one might evaluate those different circuits. This is a particular uh, you're you're the right guy to talk to about this kind of a thing. I only know the circuit in the UK. I've done I've gigged here and there, mm. but I haven't done I haven't ever sat in a different market and booked a gig for like done a gig that night whilst booking one for six months down the line oh wild yeah that's a very and that and that is wild to you because you are a globe-trotting comic i certainly who am. i guess 
let's let's just let's stay with that for a second before we get into more of the fascinating minutiae of the the booker relationships i'm into all of that i want to just ask you about specifically about the dangers i something i think of as like the downside of reps you know when you're out there repping it out tell me about the dangers of that because in my in the I back got, of my mind i've always got this fear fuck of like me are being, you a good interview i will tell you that is exa- <laughs> that is such a great point to bring up and it's more important than any other things i was saying the danger is is your life becomes stand-up comedy and you have nothing to write about because all your life is is being in little basements Around, like doing. So this. I was on the train on the way to this gig, it's and exactly uh, so one time in a show. I, got, and, I yeah, have yeah. to tell you, I was about to in 2018. If I hadn't gotten hit by the first of two cars that have hit me, I was about to mm-hmm. do a show that was literally just a collection of stories I had seen on a train. Like that was kind of in my head of like, and I remember being like, "Is this what it's going to be?" And I was in the process of moving to the states and all that that sort of stuff. So I was kind of like, "Well, there's a lot of stuff coming, so maybe I'll get something out of that." But then getting hit by the car, and the difference between the 2017 Edinburgh show and the 2018 show, where it was like, this was about a thing that human beings who don't do stand-up comedy can relate to, because it's about living a life. And Mm -hmm. yeah, the the biggest danger is you get trapped in, your life is not a relatable life. I lived on the road for nine months. That's not something most of the audience of a comedy club can relate to. Hey, what's the fucking deal when you don't have anywhere to stay in Perth, Australia, so you sleep in the airport? Like, that is the big danger, and that is something I 100% got trapped into, is that I was very addicted to just doing stand-up, and so my life was much smaller in a lot of ways, so there was not a lot of stuff forth which to talk about. So I would, you know, go in to talk about topical stuff, but that stuff sort of dies pretty quickly. And so, yes, no, 100%, the biggest danger is you don't, live this you don't live as full of a life because of the aspects of your job you're also there's a lot of pressure i always feel a lot of pressure starting in a new city and stuff like that you want to get out there you want to sort of hit the ground running a little bit and so that just ends up you're always doing stand-up and not learning to like the place you're living in So this is John. Really fun to talk to John, globe-trotting uh, comedian that he is. I do enjoy hearing about the, you know, when when you hear that someone's kind of moving between global markets in the way that John is, uh, it makes me think that I I did a certain amount of that. I didn't really move anywhere and live there for any amount of time, and nor am I likely to now. What with t- bands, so it's it's quite fun to live vicariously through other people's experiences in that way. Um, so we're going to find out a bit more about what he's up to and where he's at. Um, you can go to comedianscomedian.com/insiders for your ad-free episodes, extra content from every show that has it. This one I didn't do the extra content. There was a bit. We we cut a bit, which was sort of understandable. It all went a bit, um, I think from both of us, it went a bit old man yells at cloud. So we cut a bit out. Um, the rest of it didn't leave enough for kind of, you know, there's no point going, hey, nine minutes of extras available. So I left it all in. But if you would like extra content from all the ones uh, that have it, as well as some exclusive insiders Q&As and the incredible self-help for comedians special with uh, psychologist Amanda Donnett, Get yourself to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders where you can support the show for a minimum £2 a month or as much as you'd like. I think if we've got to the stage where I'm singing these, I should change the thing that I say. (laughs) Basically, 
Um, I don't really I don't spend much time asking people to promote or support the podcast anymore because I've just sort of quietly retreated into my little turtle shell niche. Um, but you can do those things. And that's where you can do them. John's new Edinburgh Fringe show is on sale now. It's called The Times They Are at John Hastings. You can get your tickets via edfringe.com, where you can also find tickets for my show, uh, which is called Spoilers. And um, I'm sure that John has won the Leicester Comedy Festival Best Show Award hundreds of times in his career. I didn't think to check, but I certainly have, and very recently. Um, I alluded to it in the previous episode, last week's episode with Michelle Brazier. Um, and... Um, I'm going to do more than allude to it now. At that time, I was nominated and mentioned it excitedly and then had to hastily post-edit the blurbs. But yes, thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone, at the Leicester Comedy Festival. Thank you, the smart and intelligent and fragrant people who judged that sort of thing. And thanks, everyone, that came along to, to see my show. It is certainly encouraging and to feel like I'm making moves in the right direction whatever that means and you know you don't need the encouragement of awards and judges and people like that but it, it cannot be um uh whatever the word is it can't be something denied it can't be denied that it is encouraging particularly when you are striking out as I am uh, on a different sort of topic and a different flavor to what you do so if you would like to come and hear me um have a uh, hopeful and then painful and then hopeful again and then really painful but then picking up the pieces of pain to reassemble them into something like a more lasting active energetic hope regarding the climate crisis then come and see the show it's called spoilers uh, i think uh, john is on at the monkey barrel as well but i think he's on in the evenings eight o'clock something i'm on at 3:20 in monkey barrel one i cannot wait go to stuartgoldsmith.com and follow the links there for all the stuff also by the time you hear this it may well be the case that um my new show Show I Need You Alive is now available uh, to watch on YouTube for free. But if it isn't the case, then you can certainly find it on Spotify and various TV on demand places. All of that available from stuartgoldsmith.com. That's all I have to say about the subject now. Let's get back to this episode with John Hastings and I'll chat to you after. Here he is. Something that goes round in my head whenever we're on territory like this is Herbie Treehead, who was uh, a street performer, clown friend of mine, dear friend of mine, and was on the show a while ago. Um, he talked about how I remember him having this conversation with me when I was in my 20s about how you think as a street performer that you see the world that you don't you go to the capital city find the biggest most famous monument turn your back to it put your case down and do a show and I think that's you know he, obviously that is better in some ways than staying in one place for your entire life mm -hmm. and the other thing I would think is um is that <clears throat> Sort of as you age, as you get older within comedy, if you're on the road and you are kind of you if you are in danger of kind of getting into that and danger is sort of perjurative, I suppose you, you might want to. But if you are kind of always on the threshold of road dog slash journey person comic where you can become kind of careworn and kind of gig worn by the circuit, one of the things that happens is newer, younger energy comes into the circuit underneath you or behind you or wherever you want to visualize mm -hmm. that and you can feel like oh i'm an old guy now and here i am putting all my salesman shirts into my vehicle or suitcase and schlepping out the door again talk to me about that because you you attack the circuit the global circuit with such ferocious energy do you ever find yourself stopping for breath and going the fuck am i doing yeah 
Yeah, of course. You know, you're exhausted in a fucking airport. Like uh, the the last six months have been brutal in the U.S. because at, I don't know what's been like in the U.K. circuit, but the way inflation was working, it got to the it got to the point by May, which was I was losing an, just enough money on every gig that I still had to do the gig to maintain the relationship to get the money back. But by the end of it, you're down. Like it was insane because I like I'm just this guy, so I know the operating costs, and so. Okay, that was really good. I'm down three hundred dollars. I'm down four hundred. I'm down two, and it just gets so demoralizing. Yeah. But here was the A side of it that I actually realized as I went. I'm having an economic experience the entire country is going in on, which I'm going good. Fair, I'm going, fair. Yeah. Like this, hey, community, <laughs> for, for once I am in touch with the common man. This, this was 100% <laughs> a thing where I went, holy shit. This, I actually sort of get this too. I took the positive after like some excellent therapy. Of let's not catastrophize this. Thank you very much. You listen as we all you moved to Los Angeles and there's a therapist waiting for you. Um, the other thing is, and I can catastrophize the shit out of a situation. That was one where I went. This is go read the newspaper. There is a reason this is happening. This is a moment in time. Can you weather this storm? Just about. Let's just keep going and seeing where this is. You got through COVID. So it's also I think now I'm approaching things a lot different where they took comedy away from us for two years, too. Like they took our jobs away. We were illegal. We were doing Zoom shows and we we both made it through pretty unscathed. We're not uh-huh. famous people. We're not TV names. We just hustled and got around that. So I also now have a much better grasp of going, I actually can weather the storm. Pre-COVID, pre-all that sort of stuff, I yes. was always worried of being unable to transition. So I did attack with a ferocity, which everywhere else led to just burying myself in stand-up but not living a life. Los Angeles luckily doesn't have enough stand-up for you to do that. So it's like, no, you have to go out and make friends and live experiences and go to the beach here. You physically and you'll just become a crazy – you're going to come across like a crazy person if you yes. show up to these eight gigs every week. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. So it was- yes, yeah, for sure. And I think that the the what we learn about ourselves or what we learned about ourselves in those uh, years um, and let's hope <laughs> – I was chatting to a friend yesterday, one of my parental friends, um, where they were saying – and, you know – no one's no one's looking at this Ebola outbreak at the moment. I'm looking at that now. I think you know. So who knows when we will be forced back into oh, our course. cellars, bunkers, laptops. Um, but uh, one of the things I learned about myself is that I can, and I I think I did this enough times, well enough to be able to back myself on this. I learned I can be really flexible and limber and inventive and innovative, and the like. For me, it's almost too far in the other direction. I remember going into the pandemic thinking i mean i remember day one that i thought to myself this is gonna be four years spanish flu was four years i happened to know from some podcast this is gonna be four years better make some plans for four years um and if anything i went too far the other way whereby i remember thinking some people some comics won't survive this industrially they won't survive Mm. professionally and i wonder whether i've survived professionally because i found so much other shit to do that i find really fulfilling and fun in a different way and i'm kind of bored of comedy at the minute so I have a thing that I'm going to say to you, and I will share this with everyone, is I don't think of myself, and this is very wanky, but I it, it helps me sleep at night. Comedians, we isolate ourselves too much. We don't put ourselves in, very rare for people, we never consider ourselves artists, we never consider ourselves part of show business, we consider ourselves comedians. And it'll even narrow as goes, a comedian is 
stood on stage by themselves talking to a microphone in a basement in London. That's not true. We're in show business. Whatever you're doing to stay in show business is your business. Don't fucking and I and I know those voices in your head. I have them too. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You have kids and a wife. Your job is to go out and get money and pay for things. And you're able to do that in the giant ecosystem that is stand-up comedy. And I particularly find it bizarre because when I moved to the UK, the biggest, most beautiful thing about that circuit is it was the only place I've ever been to where if you are on stage, you're a stand-up. Whatever you're doing, you have a banjo and you're covering it in bananas. Apparently that's stand-up. And I think that that freedom is so important. And I think it's being a little bit oddly lost, sorry, oddly lost as other things are sort of coming in and it's becoming a much more of like that traditional kind of like a stand up as a person in a, in a jacket and there's a light on them and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't think we, I, I especially don't like hearing that you're worrying about that sort of stuff. You're absolutely a comedian, but also in the general sense to anyone listening to this, if you are a stand up, Whatever you're doing is stand-up because you're doing it. Do you understand the sort of philosophical switch? Yes. As I have broadened my kind of uh, my output, as I've continued to broaden that out, one of the things I've become aware is of the sort of mental limitations I'd placed on myself previously by regarding my identity only and forever as a stand-up comedian. So talk to me about your your identity as a stand-up and whether there is in a sort of mad thought experiment way, is stand-up indivisible from John Hastings, from your core idea of yourself? I mean, there were, I think there were moments in my life where I, I would consider myself that everything I am defined by being a stand-up comedian. Now, no. It's, it's my job. It's my passion. I love it. It's one of those things where I've learned, you stop paying me for it, I'm still showing up. Like, you, yeah, like, just quiet, you fool. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, unfortunately, I've said this to too many people that already pay me, and just now I just realize I have to be very nice. So then if it gets out that they're not paying me, someone will be like, but he's so nice, you gotta pay him. But no, I completely, and I think that also comes with from going from being in your 20s to being in your late 30s, from living a life, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think I, it's, I think it's very important not to get advice, but I think it's very important to listen to the advice other people have been given and does it apply to you? Because I think then that, it doesn't seem catered and you go, holy shit, that's me. And I have two examples. One, a friend of mine was told, the reason why you're depressed is you're living the same year over and over again. And he said that to me and he went, that's crazy. And I went, holy shit, that's why I'm depressed. And that Mm -hmm. was, because I was going... Australia, back to London, back to Edinburgh, and doing it in a rinse and repeat for two years. And I literally just canceled a bunch of stuff. And I make a point now of never live the same year, always do something new, always do something different. Absolutely. That was... That's a uh, really... Tell me the second one. and So we've got both, and then I'll return to that one as well. And the second one was, and I'll even say who said it to me, and it was a guy named Pete Corielli, and it was when we had just come out of COVID in the States... And literally the only place you could do stand-up in Los Angeles was the patio of the Hollywood Improv. And you showed up at 4 p.m. with every other stand-up comedian in the city. And you sat there waiting to be called. And it was making me insane. Because at this point, like, I had just, um, long story short, I survived a really scary bicycle accident where I nearly lost my left arm. So my, my brain was all fucked up from the chemicals and stuff like that. So I just felt so low, 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 low. I got this really cool gig opening for a really big comedian and his opener 
And I went and did that weekend and I was just sort of in that place and we were just sort of bullshitting backstage. And he said, you know what someone told me? He went, your problem is you're still acting like you're learning stand-up comedy. You got to remember, like, you've done this for a long time. Sometimes now it's actually better not to worry about it, not to be trying to do it all the time and give it a little like rest because he's like you're you're driving yourself crazy because you've been doing it so long but you're treating it like it's new and so it feels weird inside your and it was one so of every day where, is a school day but every day has been a school day for 10 years and that's exhausting exhausting and it was like a like holy shit that's absolutely that's fucking bang on that guy went on to talk to me about QAnon a little bit so not all of the things he has to say are great <laughs> but i will take that piece of advice In all seriousness, those two things, I think, did help kind of and also growing up and maturing and going through stuff did extricate me from being a stand up and also realizing, like, you can't be defined by your job for your entire life. And I do think that a lot of those bitter road hardened guys that see new comedians coming up and take it as a threat, I think it's because they realize their entire life is wrapped up in this job. Mm -hmm. And for someone who's coming up, they're realizing I will be replaced. Um, I need to figure out something else to do. And that is something that I've known since day one, because thank God I was the young boy in uh, doing yuck yucks on tour gigs. So I'm with 50 year old divorced smoking dads going across the Canadian frontier. And it was like, and you could, they will tell you their mistakes. Should have gone somewhere else, stayed in Canada. Turns out cocaine's pretty bad shouldn't have married that stripper, shouldn't have done hair. Like there was a bunch of sort of lessons, shouldn't have told that club owner to go fuck itself where I went, okay, let's remember all of these things and avoid yeah. being that person and always be happy there's new comedians because all they're going to do is, you know, high tide raises boats. And also they're going to like turn you on to cool new standup that you didn't know because you're a 37 year old and you don't fuck it. I'm not, I don't know you Spotify. Who? Why is this funny? <laughs> oh, I really like this. You know what I'm saying? So I think yeah, that that's yeah, like yeah. fine. Find, find the joy in the same way that uh, – I don't know if you're conclusive or not. You're talking about how your how you are earning your living in show business is somewhat shifting. I don't think that that's anything wrong. I think that you're doing the right thing for you as a human being existing within a family. Yeah, we don't yeah. really want to be you know, driving to other side of Manchester from where you are in the south for a certain amount of money. You'd like to do it a different way. I don't think that there's anything yeah. wrong with that. And I think that I really learned that moving to moving around to different places doing stand up is you realize there's more than one way to skin a cat, totally be okay with it. And yeah, just have you, you figure out how you're comfortable with that statement and then move forward. That's that would be my advice even though I don't give advice. Cuz we both know the biggest advice is advice. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, remind me, what are those two things? We said we've got two answers to that, and I wanted to come back to them. Do you remember what they were? Because I keep getting glimmers, but I don't want to have what to stop the, the tape and the, go back. What was the question? Oh, uh, the two, the, the two pieces, the two pieces of advice were: um, don't live the same year every year, and remember that at a certain point, you're no longer learning how to be a stand-up. You're, for lack of a better term, are a stand-up. So it's in that same way of you're not a trainee police. I don't know why I'm using police officer. You're not a, you're not a trainee chef. You're a sous chef or you're a whatever, but yeah. there is a difference. You know what I mean? In that, because sure. how long have you been a stand-up, Stu? Uh, like 17, 18 years, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm 16 years. Like, listen, we're not, we're not famous, we're not the best. 
we're pretty good. I know what to do. <laughs> we know like, what to do. I know what to do. Like it was, it was. I was doing a gig. I'm in Canada right now. This is being recorded. I was doing a gig in Oshawa, Ontario, which is pretty. How do you do? And it was a, it was a big old UK style Christmas party night. And the two other acts are like, they're a bit rowdy. And in my head, I was like, and I literally just did my. I, it was so weird. Where, and I'm sure you do this too, especially in like a rowdy night like that. You're like, all right, we'll start with that table. They're going to chirp up at a certain point and <laughs> then them. And then you just sort of, and it's that sort of thing of like, all right, I know how to, I know how to handle this. I've done this enough and I've done this with scarier people. We can get through this. You know what I mean? And yes. I, I take pride in that. That's my moments where I go like, all right, I, I no longer need to be scared of these motherfuckers. I want to, I just want to stay with those, those two pieces of advice because I think they're mm. excellent. And I don't think either have come up before. Um, the idea that you deliberately try to avoid living the same year because there can mm. be a comfort in living the same year. I, you know, because you, the year is made up out of fun things, but I have found myself living the same year. And I suppose now things are sufficiently different that those things, like if I go to a festival, if I go to South by Southwest, I've done that a few years on the bounce. I'm never going to get bored of that. It's like peeking no. into the future for three or four days. But, um, but when, particularly with festivals in Britain where I would go, Oh, this festival, then that one, then that one, then that one, music festivals, you know, that can start to feel like I could see why why not recognizing that I'll oh, come in again. I could see why not being aware that you're fulfilling that loop because that's a hard one loop. You've got to get in there. You've got to be oh. good enough to get in there. You've got to, you know, all those kind of things. But it could easily drive you mad because the reason you went there once was because it was new. And so you and then you go there, you, you're at Festival X and it's the 10th time you've been there. And you're like, why aren't I enjoying myself? Oh, because I'm not discovering anything. And that's something I have to really hold myself to account on when I'm in, living in Bristol. If I am hanging out with some of the the newer, excellent, thriving, exciting, passionate acts who are here. I'm always saying to people, <laughs> I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, but I need I need some hoary old tired acts to be in the in the dressing room so that well we need dressing rooms for a start, so that I can look at them. I want to be able to sigh out loud and have, and have them go, yeah. But I can't sigh out loud at these wet eyed, excitable, oh, young, passionate see, comics. <laughs> I see I love not I love that I can't. Like I love that it's just like gee golly oh my god we got a heck like i love i like being around that energy because it's also i think and it may just be different ways we live i spent like the first 10 years of my career was i was essentially trailing various people that are you know what i mean like just so i i love not be, but i do know what you mean is every once yeah, in a like, while I you're like i don't want i don't want to have oh, a, no, room, no. a room full of kind oh, yeah. of uh, salesmen salespeople but i but at least one to go hey yeah <laughs> do you know I just, yeah someone <laughs> someone you can kind of with like with the, the back of your thumb pointing towards the door and you can just be like this fucking guy and yeah. then they go right and you're like yeah thank you <laughs> who else is yes. picturing mick ferry i'm picturing mick ferry <laughs> mick ferry is who i want to be that person and he's got a pint <laughs> And he's in um, he's one of those Harrington jackets. And but he sat down. That's exactly what I know. Just an agreement because it's like, if Mick's backing me up. Like, you see, if this guy fucking hates him, you know what I mean? That's exactly what I want. Oh, that'd be good stuff. So recognizing that reliving the same those groundhog day in your circuit is and that I guess that applies for uh, for the global circuit as well. If you find yourself going Australia, I've done all the experiences that are the most contactable things that the comics do in Australia, all the experiences which are within a drive from uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival that you can get back there in time for your next show. And by those the way, kind of for things. the record, 
I don't do the experience. Stu does the experiences. I'll go to an art <laughs> gallery. Because I'm Billy Fringe Guide. Yeah, he's fucking, yeah, Billy Fringe Guide who'll hop on a bus and go out do the the Long Ocean Road or whatever it's called. I'm I'm having a coffee and then, like, yeah, wandering around the Yara. But, no, that's exactly it. And also what it does is it narrows it narrows your goals, it narrows your world because you're you're in that thing of, like, I need to do this to do that to to keep going on this. Do you know what I'm saying? But are you actually expanding? If not, you're just part of that system. Also, people that just do those festival circuits, all the power to it, it just, for me, just didn't really work. Yeah. So shift and change. And one of the ways I'm doing it this year is last year I did two months in the UK, one month previewing to get ready for Edinburgh and then Edinburgh. And I just found that, I just found, I was like, it was hard and I like, it was hard and it was not how I wanted to go into the festival. So this year I'm going, let's do Australia longer um, yep. and and be really tight. And then let's try being at home for a couple of months. And we'll do a couple of gigs where you're actually going to stay in your home and you're going to pet your cats and you're going to talk to your girlfriend for weeks and then just go to England for a week and Edinburgh and just change it and see what that's like. Yeah. And it's just it's it's also it makes things sort of scary and weird again and I just I like it and it makes me feel like I have control and it's not just me waiting for people to go yes you can come do this again and if they say no then I'm financially screwed. I think that those all aspects play into it as well. Yeah. And you you, you shouldn't just this is a as you've discovered as well and everyone has sort of discovered it at covid this is a much broader spectrum of things we can do with these skills so i think also just narrowing it can be a bit tough um that also said i think that if you have kids that advice is already taken you don't need to worry about anything well, else being the same you have something in your life that will be changing yes i remember doing the um doing the kind of uh, <laughs> melbourne and sydney and uh new zealand festivals and and just kind of going i really need to get a not that i need to get a foot in the door yeah maybe that but i um i just knew that i wanted to have children and i thought i'm probably going to have children and not be able to do this i probably didn't have a sense at the time of just how radically i wasn't going to be able to do that yeah i'd be thinking to myself i could there must be some sort of arrangement whereby i could come here and now already i'm like oh my god so edinburgh 2023 i don't want to be away from the kids for two weeks on the bounce so i guess i'll have to work out how they you know what i mean i like uh, there there is no arrangement I don't want mm. to be away from my children. They're too cool. So, That's great. Um, it is. It's really good. I'm very grateful for that. But um, but I suppose what what point am I trying to make? Just kind of that's something. Okay. So to bring it back to you, John Hastings, um, uh, do you have a view to one day perhaps starting a family or settling down, or do you imagine that your life will, your career for the next twenty years, will be taking advantage of these different geographical markets? Yes and no. I do like I would like to start a family one day, I think. I don't think that I'm in a place right now to do that. I don't know. I definitely don't know after the year I've had. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that I like earning my living through live performance and through the, the medium of stand-up comedy. I also am aware that I think that our business and our industry is radically changing again. Social media, particularly TikTok and the TikTokification of all of those apps is creating a, a new paradigm that has yet to totally expose itself. Look at the Edinburgh Festival we just had. There were people that have been on every panel show, every TV show and stuff like that that were not selling as well as – I'll toot my own horn – 
this never been on this guy who's been on BBC three one time when it was a channel in 2014. My ticket sales were better than people who've been on a bunch of panel shows. And neither one of our ticket sales were nearly as good as someone who had a really good TikTok video. Mm-hmm. And three years ago, that would have been completely the reverse mm-hmm. other way. So I think that we're shifting to a normal world and we have yet to see what the impact could be. Could these festivals radically change and not be there in the same way? I don't think and, Australia and would, is going to be like that. would that be a good thing because they have become so ossified and, uh, you know, like a, a simulacra of what they used to be? Yeah, I would say that Edinburgh in particular very much wears everything in that sense. I would make an argument that the Australian <laughs> Everything festivals... in that sentence. It's an ossified simulacrum. Unbelievable. I, 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 oh, my God. <laughs> we, we are not part of the Oxbridge set, but we are making no case for it with that sentence. Um, but I would say that from someone who's done a lot of these festivals, I think the Australian festivals have been a lot more artist-friendly and a lot more adaptable to the current time. Oh, and it, go on. In the simple way that they're not doing things like, oh, no, we didn't make an app and go you fuck sure, yourself. Sure, sure, like, yeah. in the, like it's it's such a it's a, such a lopsided situation. And then, no, the fringe, I think, has to change. I don't think it's going to change this year. I think it's going to be one to two more years and then things are going to get super crazy bad or someone's going to someone from the Scottish government's going to go. How much money did you guys get bailed out with in covid? And what actually do you do? Because mm-hmm. I heard a rumor that they're thinking about downsizing the guide. And if they get rid of the guide, then I want to work for the Fringe Society because that job yeah. sounds awesome. Because <laughs> what do you do? I have wine with some people from the Pleasants and then it's September and then I leave. Like what? You know, but I agree. I think there's going to be a big change and I'm not sure what that changes. So I don't really know how to answer what that question is. I would like to continue just doing stand up in as many different places until it stops making me happy. Um, do you do you have because uh, one of the things I've noticed that you are very on top of is uh, Instagram Reels output. We chatted a little welcome, bit about Welcome Reels. to living in the United States. The US. Well, this is what I was going to ask. Like, I, a, I wanted to hear about your strategies and what's worked and what doesn't, and is it all an unknowable algorithm that we must change? It is not an death? unknowable algorithm. We can talk about it. It's so much more cynically. You're I. I can, I'll totally answer all of those questions. Let's totally get into it. Here's what I will say is I naively always suspected. I naively always thought that social media was the lottery, was a casino. And with those reels and everything like that, it was a random gamble. And of course it's not. Of course it's absolutely like specific scientific ways at which a strategy can be applied to those apps in which – People, it is forcing the algorithm to bend into showing people your stuff and then throwing it out to them. Mm-hmm. And I, for many years in my life, would have heard that and gone, How don't they know? I will not participate then. How dare they? That's my protest. And when you move to the US, and this is this is a baked into the American personality is that America is a place they're going to get up that mountain. Whatever you want to say about that country, they baked into their philosophy is like it or not, this is the rules of the game right now. Do you want to play the game? Say yes or no. No? Fine. But you are accepting the consequences of that. If yes, start putting some hashtags on your reels and get ready to be very cynically learning about TikTok. And you're like, all right. I get, and like to the point now that I'm hiring a company to help me with this because I don't understand it. And more importantly, I realize I don't care. I don't think that social media is real in the way that 
they're portraying it is. I think it is a way to catch an audience to help bring people to your shows. I will use that for that. But it's not this it's not magic to it. It is a mark. We've turned the Internet into just a funnel for marketing and they've done it in a way where it's open source if you can afford it. And that's the part of it I hate is we've once again, we're locking out and creating it to be a situation that if you've made a certain amount of money in your life and you come from a certain background, this will be a much easier bridge to cross mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. can afford to get help and you, stuff like that. And that's the part of it I don't like is that it's going to ice some people out. What I do love about show business is you can't keep a stupid comedian down because they'll figure out some way of I'm anti-social media. And suddenly in five years, that will be the way forward to get <laughs> an audience. You know what I mean? So that, so that's, but that, so, and that's it. And in Britain, there is an absolute, and it, it's never talked about, but is there, there is a, touch of a snootiness about advertising yourself there's a touch of tall poppy syndrome who's who you walk an audience walks into a comedy club in britain thinking after they've bought a ticket who the fuck do these comedians think they are being so funny don't they know mike i work with him it's hilarious he does all of harry hill's jokes and in america an audience walks in going these people must be funny so I assume I will laugh. And that's sort of the societal difference. And then when it applies to social media, they all go, this is the game now. We'll play the game. And I find in Britain, a lot of people go, do I have to play this game? It's gross. And they're right. But yes, you do. So that's that's where my whole Reels Instagram <laughs> game comes from is in America, you want to play clubs. It's no longer just having a good 20. It's also, do you have 10,000 followers on one of these apps? The amount of times, so going back to the beginning of this conversation, Emails from promoters. The amount of really nice emails I've gotten from clubs that have gone, love to have you. Your social media numbers are too low for our um, our venue. Mm-hmm. I don't like that as mm-hmm. being a metric, but at I can't do anything to change it. At least they're being honest exactly. about how they operate. Yeah, yeah. because they, they can choose from a million acts. So why would it behoove them at all to choose any of the lower 50% of those million acts in terms of social media reach? Awful Comple- though that is, at least they're being honest. Completely. And that's sort of where that's how I sort of am able to sleep at night because I am of two minds. I think it's all disgusting, but it's also and this is very much an American approach is they go, yeah, it's disgusting and feel really bad. And if you'd like to give to a charity that's helping deprogram addicted TikTokers, feel free. But understand this is the cost of doing business. And it's I got to tell you, I find it a very refreshing approach to life. Like, it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just a cultural difference in just how. British people approach show business and Americans approach show business. And it's just, there's nothing we can do to, uh, to rect. There's nothing you, you can't, it's not compare and contrast. It's just, it's, you know, it's too, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And those are the two differences, but that's the thing. And also, by the way, if you're listening to this in Britain, apply American tricks to Britain because people aren't using them. And if you're in America, apply British tricks, go like, Go and do some weird, stupid, arty shit. They've never seen that in Chicago. They'll think you're brilliant. <laughs> I want to go back to what you said about recognizing that the way, for example, Instagram Reels works, or that you know that social media generally works, isn't what you thought it was. Like I mm. have an inkling that we can all look at someone's, um, you know, someone's someone's reel that's got you know five million views on it and go, well. I can't help thinking, well, they must be rich, but uh, I've got one of those and I'm not rich. So So, you, yeah, tell me, tell me what you think about that. So if you think about it as the algorithm is, um, it is the thing employed by the app to 
find content to show other people to keep them on the app. So as we understood it, it was it used to be feeding anything, anything you put out there, the more you put out, the more the algorithm likes it. What I have just learned from people who professionally do this is basically there's a bunch of things that if you're posting all the time, the algorithm doesn't like. It wants consistent, specific content because it's an AI. It's very binary. This person says they're a comedian. They're giving me comedy content this amount of times a week at these specific times. And they've been doing that for six months. So I would understand that they'll continue to do that at this pace for six months. I will begin to slowly elevate some of these clips as a reward to encourage that to continue for 18 months so that I can continue to show advertising. So if you look at the social, like this is very strange, but you could sort of understand that you can cynically look at some people's social media. They're constantly posting certain different things is that they're trying to feed that algorithmic beast. As I understand it, and a thousand people have a thousand other opinions, what I have been told now is you need to narrow and be specific. So if you're trying to use it as an implement to sell tour tickets, by the way, tour uh, tickets available at thejohnhastings.com backslash gigs. Uh, Let's do some plugs. But if you want to do that, you want to make sure to be presenting yourself as a comedian, but you want to make sure that your language is never something that sounds like go away from the app. So you're always saying, I'm on tour now. And maybe you have a link thing, but you're not saying link like apparently you don't want to say link in bio or go to my website. You don't want to do anything that's saying to the algorithm, I'm making people leave here. You just want to say something where they organically will float over to where they can get. Okay. so and and is that how factual is that? Is that simply an opinion, something you glean, something a faceless person has told you in a car park? I may have been I like let. I may be starting to employ someone who's uh, who's does all of this, and that yeah. person may have. It was I was told by someone who does it for a living. There was like this okay, is where okay. it, and the, the algorithm is constantly changing, mm-hmm. and you don't know what the tea leaves are, and all of the different mm-hmm. apps are different things. Right now, they're all competing with TikTok, so it's all a version of how TikTok works. And TikTok mm-hmm. is consistency over time and consistency in terms of what you're doing. So yeah. if you're a Food influencer always do food. Comedy always do comedy. And I think that um, I think it's very good because I think once again I grew up in going to basement punk shows, so I always get very jazzed up at the idea of DIY and it being sort of you're in control of your own destiny. And I think mm-hmm. that social media offers the illusion of that. I am yeah. a little nervous that we're going to get to a place where everyone's doing thirty second specific bits. In a room that's oh, actually yeah. for oh, one crowd camera. work, just kind of rigged, rigged crowd work. T- not this even, is... not even comedian destroys heckler. That's like yesterday's kind of trope. But but doing like putting in little slots of manufactured crowd work so as not to burn material and trade off the pleasant buzz we get of going, wow, this person can think on their feet if you let them select the best moments when they thought of their feet. It now, infuriates I, me in a, in a way that it makes me an idiot because, of course, we should all be doing that, I guess. Yeah, but it's also that thing of we're allowed to be we're allowed to be like men in our early thir- or late 30s, early 40s <laughs> going, the fuck are you kids doing? Um, and I completely agree with you by the crowd work for more than specifically than anything. The way that they're doing those crowd work things are not setting up. The, this is a really fucking old men yelling at clouds, but I do believe Let's it. Do they're it. not setting the room up properly. There is a way to set this up specifically so it's helpful for all the other acts. And if the host has done 10 minutes of crowd work, 
don't you also open with crowd work? Because now mm-hmm. the crowd goes, we get to talk to anyone. And then I, then mm-hmm. that's when I get like sort of nuts because you see people. And it's a big thing in L.A. too is you see that exact like bit, 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 bit. And then there's two leading questions. And I can almost go, where's the camera? Where's the camera? Yeah, to get sure, this? Sure, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, that's just the game they're playing and they're totally... And, and as we said, the industry is changing now more than ever. Maybe 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, God, really, the process of doing a stand-up gig was simply an agar plate for creating video content. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it turned into. Well, this is the thing with stand-up as a, like, as a, stand-up as a thing is always used at the introductions of new media because it's incredibly cheap to mass produce and it's a course, workforce yes. that will work for fuck all. Like you, the reason you could never get a stand-up comedy union is because you will be able to find someone who will cross that picket line <laughs> and they'll do it so, like they won't eat, like, will you cross the picket line? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so something you said before about the, the nature of the algorithm as you understand or interpret it is that, a, don't send people off the platform. Like if we were, if, yeah. if we just have a conversation now about how to please our algorithmic overlord, we must don't never send, send people away from the platform. The... We must recognize that you said something particular. I wanted, I thought was fascinating. We must recognize that the, oh shit, what was it? it so was about... AI, AI is, AI is, it's, it's, it's a very clever, clever human thinking went into kind of a really dumb sentient computer program. Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of consistency of putting your content out and consistency of content in that if you're a stand-up, put out stand-up sure, as niche. reels yeah. in Stay a in schedule. Exactly. Stay in your lane. Don't dream outside of your lane. Exactly. And But it's also weird. It's like Because then I was sort of talking to these people and we haven't sort of gotten an answer. It's like, well, do I still put up like the post as a story? Like, and it's also like you put it up as a story versus a – on grid and then all this sort of stuff because and it's just at a certain point i just don't know as i understand sort of the two lessons are keep them on the platform and whatever you're trying to sell be that and keep being that you know what i mean and make it yes also also i would suggest um and this is awful and it's not advice i would give anyone but clearly i mean i think all of my the two the two common factors that uh that all of my viral pseudo viral kind of videos have is one they stimulated argument which is awful and which is why joe rogan exists in the form that he does you know because if people row with each other they're all engaging they're all posting they're having an argument if you say something and someone in the comments says i don't think he should be allowed to say that and someone else says well i think he should be allowed to say that then they that's engagement and that's oh, that yeah. drives the whole thing. And you know, I thought I was telling, saying something really obvious. Then, do you not think that's true? I think it's uh, completely obvious. I just I hate that that's our society. You're one hundred percent right. Is, but I ever, but that, yeah. And that's why the internet's so awful. Is because everything, like the lifeblood of all of the the algorithms and the apps, is engagement and arguing equals engagement. Completely. And by the way, the internet gets tarred with that brush. But it's by the way, all forms of media because the human the human drive oh, is same, same reason as exa- man bites yeah. dog isn't a, sorry dog bites man isn't bites a story man, man bites dog is yeah 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 it's the same thing it's just I and I always just get because people yeah the internet and I'm like oh you're right because newspapers have never ever sure intentionally human conversations human between beings. humans oh. you run up to your friend and tell them how bland your morning was no <laughs> oh completely or yeah you yeah oh my god We're, you're talking to two comedians the amount the the amount of times something has happened and the amount the, no way you know what i mean just the <laughs> evil that you get joy out of sometimes of just he's wearing what um second common factor i think is that they have um accidentally 
and but this feels like riggable and i'm sure there are people out there rigging it they have um they have touched upon individual communities so i yes. had something that went mega viral the big thing that went mega viral was and it was like it was my best clothes i did it on conan it was the thing about baby sign language so so uh, you know that that went oh, like huge. Sort of five yeah, million yeah. views or something um and uh, and part of that i believe is because people were sharing it within sign language communities and parenting communities of course so yeah. those niches you go oh if there's a facebook a facebook group which exists in order that people share it it's, you're you're designing you're optimizing for shareability so if you can do something that pisses off a niche community you'll get shared a lot as they all argue about your thing what an awful way to live right oh my That's, god yeah it's enormously it... productive and completely editing but yeah you're you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head and in so many ways just described how politics have boiled down which is it's a bunch of niche communities arguing with each other yeah. getting nowhere and we literally said that i was like Oh my God, that sounds like just our pol oh fuck. But yeah, yeah. you're a hundred percent right. But yeah, that's that's true. And again, the other side of it all is, as much of it as cynical and sad, and you do have to gear towards all of that sort of stuff. You kind of had to do that anyway to get on TV. Do you know what I mean? Especially because, and I actually have, my heart kind of goes out to producers because they need to be able to justify why this person is on television doing stand up without going they're really funny because everyone's really funny you know what i mean like it, you actually you get like, like all stand ups you get in that moment of why and then you go no I, the the usp of everyone actually does make sense because they have to justify this up the chain to so many different people so they need to be able to go look we got something that appeals to Every person who could be watching our program, yeah. we can condense it down in a sentence, all of that sort of stuff. And I think that that's um, I think that's really good. What I do get scared of is what if one day we stop worrying about like them being a comedian or a musician or doing a talent thing. And mm -hmm. it just really boils down to all reality television. And it's just every show is conflict house. You know what I mean? Like it's just that's the scary thing I see coming eventually. I think is, that's already happened, hasn't it? Those decisions, no, no, are no, because decisions it's, already because made it, on that because basis, aren't they? They are because it's a, a certain mainstream te television in Britain really, really goes that way. Pardon me, my mum is handing me a note. Perfect. You sorry? Oh, your mum's a producer. No, my, in many ways, <laughs> hilariously. She literally handed you a note during My mom is handing awesome. me a note to say that she's about to do a radio interview. How, how do you like that? <laughs> we got to wrap up. <laughs> we're, we're a real media savvy family here. You know what I'm saying? Please ask your mom, is she happy? I will ask. She is. I'm pretty sure she is. Listen, her sunny boy is visiting and she's talking on the yeah. radio. It's very exciting. Um, I assume that's the segue into you asking me if I am happy, uh, Stu. I didn't I ask you last time? It's not something I'm covering in the book, so I maybe didn't. Are you happy, John? You've been having therapy. I think I, I think I am. I think it's one of those things where it's been a brutal two years, and I feel like I'm, I'm out the other side of that, and it didn't kill me, and I'm still doing my job, and we're still doing stand-up, and like... I uh, I made a big pledge of myself coming out of COVID. I was going to keep the promises I made in COVID, and I'm doing that. And so, yeah, no, I would say I am. Which promises are these? Oh, my God. Not gig so much. Um, like, take like get involved in social media. Like, all of those sort of things. Like, I can't they, – they come up every once in a while where it would be returning to behavior I used to do before that I didn't like. 
And I would go, you thought about this in COVID and you were going to stop it. And you, when coming out of COVID, I was having coffee with comedian Ari Shafir. And he said to me, he said, wouldn't it be nice if we kept the promises to ourselves we made in COVID now that COVID is over? And much like the other piece of advice, I went, I'm having that. And that has really helped in those moments of, oh, I'll just, you know, those things that we do that we don't actually want to do. It really helped giving me kind of a sole excuse to go, no, you don't do that anymore. We had a moment where we used to do it. This is a new time. You don't do it. And it's not, there's no emotion to it. You're not being a bad person. You're honoring something you decided to do. This is how you honor it by not doing it. You're being disrespectful to yourself. Yeah, that sounds like a fucking poster in a guidance counselor's fucking office. But I do actually hold to it. Like it's, and that that has really helped my happiness quotient. Thanks, John. Anytime, Stu. This is really fun. I, I'm sweating. I don't know why. So that was John. Don't miss out on his Edinburgh show. He's just, it, it's so much fun. Like he's hes a really, really strong comic, a really interesting orator. So even the, no, how do you say this? How do you say, how do you say he's, as well as being really funny, he's also interesting. That's all I mean. And then I tie myself in knots going, oh God, does it sound like I'm saying that there aren't funny bits? You know what I'm talking about. He's very, very funny. Also, there is a tremendous amount to be enjoyed in the the dynamic friction between the fact that he looks like an aggressive, angry, racist lunk, and then turns out to have the soul of an alt comic poet. Um, so don't miss him. The Times They Are, a John Hastings is on sale now at the Edinburgh Fringe place, which is edfringe.com, as is mine. It's called Spoilers, and you can find it at edfringe.com. We, listen, we're going to have to have... Um, we're going to have to have spreadsheet day sometime soon, because as I mentioned last week, I'm starting to get pretty effing excited about about the Fringe, having not been up there for a full run with a finished show. Not that the show is finished yet, but having not done that since like 2018, I've done full runs, I've done previews, I've done work in progress and I've done bob ups for a week here and there. But this is like a real thing. Now, if I say... Hey, tell me who I should know about. Who in, who are the acts who are at the right kind of? Who are the who are the? Okay, here's the strata of. I'll, I'll, let's put all this in the post amble. Enough to, for now to say thank you, John. Thanks to producer Nathan. Thanks for Moz for logging this and uh, lots of love to Moz as well. Um, Rob Smouton did the music and uh, uh, Susie Lewis has become my book demon i was gonna say book goblin but that doesn't sound very good also she's more powerful than a goblin so she's become the book the book rog which is like a balrog but for books um and uh, sarah mahag is a comcom fan who is also an occupational therapist and mood lifter and if you go to moodlifter.co.uk you can find out about her kind of wellness coaching she didn't know i was going to give her this shout out but we've been having fascinating conversations about neurodiversity so um check her stuff out she's been a really valuable resource and is an upbeat and exciting person to speak to as well as someone who knows things so that's all the official stuff please like share subscribe click all the buttons you consider relevant and go to comedianscomedian.com insiders to support the show in a more directly financially impactful way and thank you by the way to everyone that has been doing that and that continues to do that um and uh, that is all very much appreciated i've had some i've had some correspondence we've not done correspondence for a while so i look at some of the correspondence um uh, da, 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 da. Oh, that was a good one uh that's oh i filed it where is the here we go someone called brendan got in touch 
um, to say that they discovered me on Your Dead to Me and then followed the rabbit hole down the path of finding your wonderful podcast. Um, and uh, what they said something really nice. Thanks for exploring the comedy behind the comedy that fans like myself love. Needed something refreshing after having exhausted all the back episodes of various panel programmes on Dave. Um, thank you, Brendan. Um, and thank you for the other things you said as well, which are very nice. And thank you to everyone that has been in touch. I sort of reply to everybody, which is an insane thing to set myself, but I think I've managed it so far. Oh, and here we go. Here's me checking spam live because people are forever getting in touch with me. There we go. Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm glad I didn't miss that. Right. Thanks. Sorry, Fergus. I'll be back to you three days late. Right. Thank you, everybody. I'll post Amble at you in a moment, uh, which will be another excited pre-Edinburgh thing. And I'll speak to you soon. Go away. But if you didn't go away, if you stayed, here's the thing. I need several types of recommendation, right? I need hip, excited, hip. Do you know what I mean? Exciting acts that make you go, oh, this is, woof, this person's going to turn into something amazing because I want to see them early doors. Don't want to have them on the show just yet. But when I do have them, I want to be able to go, oh, yeah, I was there at the beginning. Um, it's just ego, really. But I'm more out of the loop than I have been for some years. So I need those kind of recommendations. All of them, please, via the ConCon Facebook group. Um, and also I need recommendations for people who are at the level of like, come on, they've done three or four shows now. Why haven't you had them on? I won't necessarily answer you because sometimes the answer will be they declined and didn't want me to say so. But nonetheless, um, if there are people out there who are going to be at Edinburgh, very satisfying now to look down the list of all the people at Monkey Barrel like an absolute panini album of uh, got, 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 need, 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 got, 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 got. So let's try and do that. I, I always bite off more than I can chew. This time I'm going to try to go to Edinburgh and only see 20 shows. Yes, I'm going to do it that way round. I'm going to decide in advance the 15 shows I'm going to book and I'm going to leave room for five up there. And my hope is that, my expectation is that I will then also go and see other stuff. But rather than setting an insane list for myself and then feeling bad the whole time, I'm going to knock off all the things that I want to see that I bought tickets for in advance. And then I'm going to know that that's done and then I can relax and enjoy myself. Yeah, let's see if that works. Right. So send me those recommendations, please. People coming up on the show. I've just recorded a lovely, lovely podcast, lovely episode with Neil Delamere, fabulous Irish comic. Um, who it's kind of turned halfway through. We gear shifted into just a masterclass on the the crafting of stories and sort of storytelling and comedy and mistakes you make and ways to zero in on things. Can't wait to bring you that. We have Ignacio Lopez in the can. Also, we have Lucy Beaumont. Wonderful Lucy Beaumont. That's that's a corker. Plus three more from uh, from South by Southwest. So why don't we have let's do Steve Agee from South by. Let's do Emma Wilman and then let's do uh maybe lucy or maybe i'll work it out this is this is not you shouldn't trouble yourself with this right that's that and now it's easter except it isn't for you this is the week after easter um and uh i am going to have uh i've just admitted that i'm recording this two weeks in advance perhaps by now they've taken away my special comedy award <laughs> oh sad times speak to you soon When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.